Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. We all know about burnout and my show has done a few episodes that have specifically looked at the causes, the treatments and best of all, prevention. My guest today, Melo Kakako, is on a mission to help millions of people beat burnout in the modern world, which I think many of us are feeling at the moment as we enter the end of the year. But have you ever wondered what that actually takes? Well, he is the man to tell us. He's the published author of Beating Burnout, Finding Balance, and is a passionate mindfulness and high-performance coach, keynote speaker, and corporate programs facilitator. Melo has learned to manage highly challenging and stressful situations, build mental endurance, and rise above adversity from his life lessons on the road where he he has cycled, trekked, and travelled over 30,000 kilometres around the planet on his mountain bike. He has traversed five continents and along the way he's had to overcome many obstacles and demanding encounters, including near-death experiences. In his day job, he's helped many CEOs, leaders, and corporate executives, medical professionals, and elite athletes, as well as others, build resilience and perform at their absolute best without burning out. Mello's work has been described as truly transformational and his clients include Deloitte, PwC, L'Oreal, ANZ Bank, and a bunch of other of the world's best companies. And we warmly welcome Mello to the politics of everything. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automate post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. You too. Look, I would love to know what you wanted to be as a kid. I think people's origin story is fascinating because I don't imagine leadership expert, burnout coach and author was perhaps in your trajectory when you were younger. Do you remember what you thought you might do? Oh, my God, that's that's so long ago. Um, but uh, in all honesty, I didn't, to be honest. Like if I was thinking back, there's a whole variety of jobs that I did because I had no idea and I think at that time you can experiment a fair bit. But the great thing thing was I tried lots of things, you know, everything from being a horticulturalist to fiberglass work to a um, whole range of different jobs, personal training. And all of those things were all vastly different, but I learned something from every single one of them, to be honest. 
but but I do know that the common denominator on when I really loved my work, the one thing that you know stitched everything together and put everything together was helping people. Yeah, so so then wow. I, yeah, then. yeah, and I think that's interesting, isn't it? Even if you think about something like personal training and mm. physical, you know, well being, that's obviously helping clients do that. And now you, you obviously work in the space that you do. So I love when people can join the dots and sort of see how that's all worked out. Mm. Our topic today is mental endurance. How would you actually define that? A lot of people would be familiar with burnout, but then the flip side of mental endurance is something which obviously you specialize in, but perhaps isn't as familiar for many of us. Yeah, it's really the ability to function effectively and sustainably. That's the key word there, sustainably you know, for the long term in the face of any challenges or any stressors that are coming towards you. And really without burning out, so without sacrificing your own health or your own mental well-being. And the key word for me, like I said, is sustainable. People can do you know, hard work for a period of time or have a big project or something, but then they crash on the other end. So it's that sustainability factor that you can actually have this mental endurance, you know, be cognitively sharp and alert and awake and you know, make decisions and problem solve for the long term sustainably. So are there certain ways that you can sort of just share with us perhaps top line that someone like an athlete or great achiever in any field, like all the sort of, I guess, executives you might work with, can build up mental endurance over time and how? Because what I'm thinking as you're talking through that definition is some days it feels like that's easy and other days it's definitely not. Is there a way in which we can sort of, I guess, stabilise some of that mental endurance for the long haul? Mm, I like how you actually parallel the athlete, you know, with the high achievers and you know, corporate executives because one thing that an athlete knows very well is the importance of active recovery and rest and renewal. And it's one thing that often, you know, when you're working in a corporate role or an executive role or even, you know, just any sort of busy workload that you have, we often forget about the renewal part. So for me to have mental endurance and to sustain that for the long term, it's about finding balance. You know, having periods when you are on, yeah, and you you are in that sort of on on zone. You're fully switched on. You're, you're problem solving, planning, decision making, logically, analytically thinking. But you also balance that out with periods of rest and renewal. I think that's the real key to fight mm. to keep that balance, so you can actually you know, keep achieving at your best for the long term. And is that sort of about scheduling that in, perhaps? Because I think mm. sometimes the, the irony is when we need it most is when we do it least. Exactly. Recovery. Exactly. And it is about those small daily habits that you're doing. You know, the very obvious ones are, you know, looking after your physical health, making sure you're exercising regularly, eating well, sleeping well, you know, looking after your physical well-being, but also your mental well-being by scheduling in renewal breaks. And you know, we can really only work in optimal performance at our best in periods of about 90 minutes or two hours. So after the two-hour period. Oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I do. So there you go. And I just thought it might be me because, you know, I was a short-form journalist for many Mm. years and those deadlines are intense but they're over, if that makes sense. It's not so much a marathon but a sprint. And so sometimes, you know, you'd have 90 minutes to pull together a 1,000-word story including interviewing three people and – then you would really collapse, but then you'd have to think about your next story. But you'd have that buffer of, okay, that deadline is over. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you're working in blocks of time. So you're working in a two-hour block, you have a little break, and that little, little renewal break will renew your energy on a daily basis or every couple of hours. So then when you go back to you know, do your work again, you have more clarity and focus. So sometimes the, the very thing we need is to stop and to pause 
Yeah, so looking after yourself. Mm. And would those breaks generally, like in your experience, like how do you do your day, for example? Like is it about just five minutes of, you know, walking around the block or stretching or maybe doing something, you know, I don't know, reading a book in the sun? Like what does it look like, I guess, is is my question. Yeah, it could be anything from exactly what you said there. So I I practice regular meditation, so it could be a a 90-second break just to breathe and just follow your breath, so a short meditation practice. It could be go outside and pat the dog for five minutes minutes and just get some fresh air it could be go for a walk around the block or you know if you're working in the workplace maybe go chat with somebody you know all of these little moments like anything from two minutes to 10 minutes you know or even a 20 minute lunch break of course but these little renewal breaks will just you know reset your your energy and your focus again and they are so important a lot of people underestimate that they keep trying to charge through you know i'll just finish this last little bit but then that last little bit takes an extra hour and you know it's not very productive work so just either slotting it in into your calendar already, a little buffer after after a meeting or after a period of work, or just when you start noticing it yourself, I'm getting a bit tired now, getting a bit, you know, I'm starting to make mistakes. Okay, stop, pause, take a break, mm-hmm. yeah, and then come back and refocus. And I guess are there some things that will impact us for better or for worse as we sort of, I guess, maintain our mental endurance during periods of sustained stress or maybe when we're already feeling burnt out? So I feel like sometimes we can control our day, but sometimes our day controls us. And my example would be I work a lot with businesses that might be doing some crisis communications campaigns and they are pretty much, you know, full on all the time, high stress, all the cortisol's firing for everybody. You can't always just go, yeah, I'm just going to go for a nice walk around the block because there might be a real deadline because they might be doing a, you know, a media interview on on 7.30 ABC program or something like that and you really do have to just get through. Mm. How do we kind of, I guess, recalibrate in those sorts of periods? Well, I think you you said it well before where you said, you know, often when we are in a busy period or a stressful time, the thing that we need the most is the thing we let go of. Oh, you know, I won't eat You know, today, I'm, I'm too busy or I won't take a break because I've just got too much going on. So for me, it's about actually upping your self-care as much as possible, You know, starting your day with healthy practices in the morning so you are fully energized, so you do have that energy to sustain through the day. But even sometimes putting some self-care in the bank. So if you know you've got a big period, like you said, a big project going on, then maybe you, you, know, you up your self-care before that project so you are fully energized. So it is about recognizing your limits and, you know, when you do know you've got a busy period or a stressful period coming up, do whatever you can to prepare for that. You know, like you are about to run a marathon, you know, making sure you're eating well, sleeping well, exercising, and do not let go of your self-care practices when you are in that period, when you're in that stressful period, if anything, up them if you can. You know, make sure you do mm. take breaks, make sure you do eat well, make sure you do your meditation practices. So it's really about catching it early and and listening to your, to your, to the signs yourself, listening to your body, you know, listening to it. It's almost like when you go to the doctor and they tell you the things mm. that you should do or you go see a personal trainer and you know what you should do or a dietitian or whatever. With the work that you do, and obviously it's not about naming individual clients, but do you find there's sometimes resistance or kind of what I call that, you know, it's a bit of a fad, they'll do it for a bit and then they go back to their old habits. Like I guess what I'm trying mm. to get to is how do we make sure this is not just something we do 
in peak crisis or times where we feel like we, you know, we're seeing our our business advisor or a coach or someone like you, and then of course, you know, we go back to it every day and none of that happens. <laughs> exactly. How do we actually keep ourselves accountable? Really, I guess is the question. Yeah, exactly. And, and it is about just small incremental changes. So when I'm working with clients, you know, I don't say to them suddenly you're going to do all these six things differently. It's about doing one really well. So you know, I'd give them one task to do. It might be you know sleeping better, getting to bed earlier, turning off devices at a certain time. And all of those things will have a flow on effect to other things. So if they start sleeping better and going to bed earlier, you know, they wake up with more energy. They have more energy and they, they feel like exercising because they have more energy. And they exercise and then they actually eat better because, you know, they get hungry for good fuel. And they eat better and they have more energy. So they all, you know, cascade against each other and they all you know, support each other. So it is about doing one thing and really sticking to one thing. And um Mm, absolutely and I guess for you do you sort of the way you structure your work Mm. with clients is it about an ongoing piece of accountability or do you tend to go in and sort of do short sharp pieces of work give them everything they need all the tools and then sort of let them sort of do that themselves I mean Mm. I guess what's the what's the process that you might go through with some of your high performing clients I'll I'll drip feed So, so drip feed little little different practices and see how that one goes make sure that one sticks and then add another one to that so it might be starting out with just a a two-minute meditation practice, let's say, you know, certain times of the day. And once they get that down pat, they realize, oh, this is actually really helpful. We might extend that practice or we might do more of those for the day. So it's really small little changes that they start noticing and feeling over the long term. It's not about starting something and, and not sustaining it because, like you said, they'll go back to old habits again. That, oh, that, that didn't work. Mm. That, that practice didn't work because it's not sustainable. But everybody can do 90-second breath break or a two-minute practice, and then you start adding to that toolkit. And then by the end of a few months, they have a whole variety of things in their toolkit for different situations. Yeah, interesting. Mm. You mentioned breath work there. That's something that I've become aware of quite recently, having worked with some clients who are going through that at the moment Mm. and doing that within their leadership practice. What is it about that kind of breath work, I suppose, that can help us with our mental endurance? What's the link, do you understand anyway? I don't know if you're an expert in the area or not, but just because you mentioned it, I Mm, just wanted to share a little bit with the audience about what that looks like for people. Yeah, well, I've been practicing breath work and, and various meditation practices for the last 30 years. And I have not missed one single day for 30 years. So I definitely see the importance of it and I see the value of breath work. And, you know, there are very types of breath work there are different breath works for different reasons um the ones that i often teach especially with high performance is actually more the calming actually to actually almost sedate you and relax you and calm you after a stressful day there's also breath work that will energize you but the most common thing that the breath work does is actually helps you connect to the present moment to connect to yourself to connect to your body and you know, sometimes when we're feeling a bit reactive and we're you know, stressed and getting what we call amygdala hijack, where the amygdala, which is the sort of fear center of the brain or the stress center of the brain, starts taking over our brain and starts hijacking our attention and our focus. So as soon as we slow down and we do some breath work, especially when we do deep diaphragm breathing deeper into the belly, what that does, it deactivates the amygdala, deactivates that hijacking, and it activates the prefrontal cortex, which is all about what we said before problem solving, planning, decision making, your executive function. So it actually reverses the stress response and it initiates the relaxation response. And very powerful. And is it better to do this as a kind of, like you mentioned, you have a missed a day, a certain time of the day, or for some people, is it about 
as and when they need it. Mm. Like I'm just thinking when's the optimal kind of time to be able to do this breath work and, and I guess meditation if that's what you decide to do. Mm, I recommend both. So when you need it, so obviously if you, you're busy period and you might be in front of your computer and you've got 35 tabs open on your computer and you don't know what you're focusing on even anymore, it may be worth stopping and pausing and just doing some breath work a couple of minutes just to refocus and recenter. But I also recommend just doing it anyway when you are feeling good. So don't only use breath work as a, a first aid response. Like if you do it regularly, you actually learn the ability to self-regulate. You know, one of the best tools you could ever teach anybody is to self-regulate through your breath. So when you are in a situation, yeah, when you that. are in a difficult situation, you can actually tap into your breath work and you can actually self-regulate yourself. So I recommend both. I often say to my clients, you know, do, do it in the morning when you wake up, you know, maybe do it in the afternoon at the end of the day. But even before a big meeting or before a, a, a session or a busy period, also do it. Do it when you're feeling good too, because one day you'll need it when you actually are in a stressful situation. Absolutely. No, I love that. And I guess that's the thing. If you know what you're doing, you can activate that resource very quickly because it's a practice that's part of your everyday life, like brushing your teeth right. or, you know, for some people it's exercise. That's right. And your body learns to recognize it quicker. So the more you practice the breath work, your physiology will start understanding, okay, it's time to actually initiate the relaxation response. And after a while, you could probably initiate that within three or four breaths. And instead of, you know, That's it takes longer. So use it all the time. Not only, most people only use meditation and breath work when they are stressed, when they're actually already in Yeah, the exactly. That's what I'm thinking. It's almost like, you know, prevention's better than exactly. cure kind of mindset, really. Exactly. Absolutely. So adversity is obviously part of life. Mm. I would like to get your take on what's some of the quickest ways or way to change how we navigate it and I guess build our own well-being mentally so we have that endurance because I think you know if you ask lots of people there's there's ways in which adversity hits people and some people have that mindset of oh this always happens to me a bit of a victim mentality and other people can kind of resonate with it accept it navigate their way through it with a lot more ease it seems even if really the experience is identical of what they might be going through so it could be anything Mm. from a corporate restructuring you're going to lose your job to a divorce to you know a health crisis you know what are some of the ways you think that we can actually have some other skills in our tool belt so that our mind is really mentally ready for whatever life is going Mm. to throw at us yeah, it's a good question, actually, and it is something that I do a lot of work in. I'm actually currently working with a company right now who's going through a whole restructure and you know, people are losing their jobs and changing positions. So to me, the, the key thing is really about mindset. And you mentioned it there. It's about you know your mindset towards it because two people could be going through exactly the same experience, but they have a very different mindset. One might have a fixed mindset, you know, saying they just want things to go back to normal again and they don't like change and someone might welcome that change. So it is about having a positive and growth mindset. And to me, I'm not sure if you're aware that um, the word crisis, for example, the word crisis in Chinese characters, there's actually two characters. And one of the characters actually means, you know, danger and risk. And the other character means opportunity. I love how there's actually... No, I've learned something new. So there you go. So I I choose to focus as much as I can on the opportunity, on on the opportunity part of the crisis because sometimes we don't see it when we're in it, but then... Now, sometimes the biggest change or the thing that's challenging you the most turns out to be the biggest blessing in your life. So it is about... Yeah, and it's hard when you're in it, I suppose, yes. to see that because, you know, particularly when there's uncertainty, and I think for a lot of us we like to be in control, mm. 
particularly high performance. Mm. So when we feel like it's out of our control, that's probably the piece I think where people's mental endurance would get challenged. That's right. So we focus on the things we can control. If anything, hyper-focus on them and actually really look at the things we can control, let go of the things we can't control. And just having that mindset, you know, instead of having fear, you know, trusting the process, instead of, you know, feeding that anxiety, be excited about the opportunities. And I know it's sometimes easier said than done, but it is about sort of catching your thoughts in the early stages, because often what happens, we get out these thoughts, especially like you said, with uncertainty, and it turns into fear. We start saying, oh, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if, what if, what if with a negative, most of the time it's with a negative, what if I, I lose my job? What if I can't provide my family? What if, what if, what if? And we have no control over that. And that will then feed you know, anxiety and uncertainty and fear and affects our physiology and our psychology. But if we flip that equation and, and, and say, what if with a positive, you know, what if this, this is the best thing that ever happened to me? What if this turns out even better than the situation I'm in right now? And then that will feed more trust and that will also feed more excitement as opposed to anxiety. So it is about a real you know, mindset, mindset thing where you can actually focus on catching your thoughts early and then doing what you can do to turn towards them. I suppose also, you know, for some people, if the whole organization's going through it, there's that, you know, not that group yeah. thing necessarily, but I guess there's some some differences in that too if it's an individual crisis as well. So, you know, if a whole organization is going through change and some people are going to lose their jobs, there is still a cohort of people who will lose their jobs mm. and maybe people who will stay or be promoted or whatever. So that's a kind of a different experience. Is there a way in which you work with teams that might be a little bit differently to those individuals or is it kind of the same theory but it just manifests in a different way? Yeah, there is what you, what we call the emotional contagion, you know, where sometimes in, you know, with the whole team's going through or the whole place is going through it, you know, one person can affect another person, both positively or negatively. So it really is about, you know, looking at your perception of the situation because your perception versus the person sitting next to you may be very different. So it is about looking at that. First of all, looking at your perception of it, how you're looking at it, how you're framing it. Also, there may be a degree of acceptance. There may also be a degree of letting go of some things. There can be some grief or sadness. So it is about sort of individualizing it on your level and how you perceive the situation versus how somebody else perceives it because we're all in different you know, situations there. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, sometimes it's better to sort of, I guess, not isolate yourself, but just focus on what you can do because, like you say, that contagion thing must be mm. quite real. And I've been through in organizations where that's the case and it's all becomes lots of gossip and innuendo and the theories and, yeah. you know, that can be unhelpful. Some people find it cathartic, yeah. but I think for me personally, yeah. I find that stuff quite unhelpful. I always just want to work towards the solution and the things I can control exactly. if you like. I have a great formula that I, that I share, a very simple formula. You know, when you are having any negative or fearful or uncertain thoughts, you know, like we said, going through some change, then I have a very simple formula where you ask that problem uh, two simple questions. And the first one is, is it true? Like, is it real? Is it a fact? Because very often we get caught up in our thoughts and we start creating mountains out of molehills and start feeding these negative thoughts. So you turn towards that thought and say, is it true? 99% of the time it's not. Like, it's not a fact. It's actually we've manifested or somebody else has fed that. And the other, the second part of that is, is it helpful? Is it even helpful me even thinking about this? And what's the point? Mm. Is it useful? And once you do that, you'll catch 99% of unuseful, unhelpful, negative and fearful thoughts. 
You save yourself a lot of time and mental energy, I imagine, exactly. by, by doing it early. Exactly. Which is probably the goal. So what do you think is the most untapped resource when it comes to mental endurance in your experience? Without a doubt, I'd say, you know, some sort of meditation and my, or mindfulness training. And I know people, you know, dip in and out of it. They do it, you know, they might try it for a little while, but they actually don't continue it. A lot of people train their body to get fitter and stronger, especially high performers. You know, we stay well, we go to the gym, we exercise, but not many of us train our mind. And you know, I think it's about training your mind regularly, not just a little bit here and there. So doing some sort of mindfulness training where, A, you're stopping and you're pausing, or you're sitting with your thoughts, you're sitting in stillness, you're sitting in silence, because it is the thing that will either make or break you. You know, when you, are, when you need that mental endurance in a difficult situation, if you've strengthened your mind, you can actually get through many situations. And I learned that very early on where I practiced martial arts. I actually entered meditation through martial arts practice. And I very quickly realized that the power of the mind was more important than even the strength of the body. And if there was two opponents, let's say. And athletes know that exactly. too, don't they? I mean, I think you've obviously done a lot of cycling and you've probably <laughs> had some pretty challenging times and it is, it's a mind-body balance. Yeah. I mean, you can be done all the training in the world, but if you tell yourself you can't or the pain is too much or you're tired, that can have a huge impact on how exactly. you finish that, you know, that day of exercise. Yeah, if there was two marathon runners, you know, running, you know, the marathon and they're getting to the, the end line where it's the finish line, the, the person with the strong mind will will do better. Or even if there was two people with exactly the same physical strength having an arm wrestle, let's say, you know, they were doing an arm wrestle, but they were like absolutely tied, the, their strength, their muscular endurance was exactly the same. It's the mindset that will actually make the difference. So it is about training the mind yeah, on a absolutely. regular basis. And that can be anything from just doing short meditation practices to you know, longer meditation practices, even just being more mindful when you're doing the things in your day. So mindful eating, you know, mindful walking, mindful listening, mindful speaking, and all of these things. We train our mind to pay more attention, to be sharper, and to be more present. So changing tack a little mm. bit, what's the best piece of advice? It could be work advice, life advice that you've ever been given and why has it been so powerful for you? Yeah, I don't think it comes to words for me. Actually, to be honest, I think it is um, learning breath work 30-odd years ago and various types of breath work, learning the power of the breath. My, my Tai Chi master actually taught me you know, breath work years ago that actually helps you to build um, internal heat into the body. And why that was crucial was there was actually a story that I'll quickly share with you where I was in a situation where I was cycling around the world on my mountain bike, as you do, and I got caught in a very nasty storm. Well, as you do, <laughs> not everybody else, but yes, I hear you. As you do, exactly. <laughs> I got caught in a nasty, very nasty storm and, um, and my, my bike got hit by a tree. I got hit by a tree and I was in a situation where the shelter around me, there was no shelter at all. It was actually cyclonic winds, you know, sub-zero degrees. I was becoming hypothermic and, and my fingers were turning blue, my lips were turning blue. And then I remembered my Tai Chi master teaching me this um, breath work. And I did this breath work and it started generating heat in my body. And I actually meditated from dusk. So it was actually around 6 p.m. at night when this was all happening and there were trees being felled all around me. The whole area was very dangerous from dusk all the way through to dawn. And you know what? I was in this situation where I was sitting in the middle of a storm, but I felt totally safe, totally peaceful, totally, you know, internalizing my, my thoughts. I don't know exactly what I went through that night, but I meditated for 12 hours and I got through that. So it really taught me that the power of the breath is 
far greater than what we even know ourselves as humans. It's, it's almost like superhuman in a way. If you can control your breath, you can pretty much control any situation in your life. And I know that's a bold statement. That's amazing. I've actually gone through Yeah, it. that's big. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you've experienced it. Yeah. Look, if we spoke again in a year's time, Mello, what would be sort of a goal that you maybe have articulated or you may not? This may be your kind of, you know, armchair confidential, <laughs> but something you're working towards and explain to us why it's a really important goal for you. Mm, that's a good question too. A year is a pretty short duration, um, but I'd say at the moment- It can be. I mean, for some people it's like, you know, they're going to write a new book and other exactly. people it is literally like some sort of physical thing or, a, you know, a personal hobby they're going to take yeah. up. Yeah, I've got two actually that, that come to mind. And, and one is I'm currently in the process of actually um, doing a TED talk. So I'll be um, doing a TEDx talk in March next year. So I got selected to do that, which is a- oh, yeah, where, where are you doing that one? That's in TEDx Mornington, it's called. So um, that'll be here yep. just just writing the talk right now as we speak and that'll be in March um, March 2024. So in a year's time, I'll be on the other side of that and it is about you know really you know, sharing my message as much as possible to as many people as possible because on the other side yes. of that message is I'm helping, I'm trying to help. I'm on, a, I'm on a big mission now to help as many people as possible to, you know, to beat burnout and find balance in their life. So hence the book, obviously, that I published there. So the big mission is, if you spoke to me in a year, is more people have been impacted by my message through the TED Talk and, and also hopefully through the book globally. That sounds awesome. Mm. Just a final takeaway message for us as we wrap up our conversation on the politics of mental endurance. What would be your final takeaway message for the audience? For the audience, I'll say to ask yourself this one simple question every single day. Every single day, if you want to be a high performer and perform at your best and making sure we're doing the best because we're often doing things for other people, is to ask yourself this one question is, what have I done for me today? You know, what have I done that fills up my cup? What have I done that makes me feel good? And make sure you do that on a daily basis, please. Love it. Excellent. Great advice. And if you do want to connect further with Melo, find out more about his books and obviously look out for his TED Talk, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests so if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.